Hello everyone. Welcome back to this another episode of Embracing Differences with me, Nipin Anand. We are still on reporting systems, a topic that has interested me for quite some time now. And uh, as I'm realizing it, uh, it actually interests a lot of you. Maybe because it's a very common tool that's used across organizations, uh, particularly in safety critical industries. Well, not many of us have the unique capability to present research in an accessible and simple way. Uh, my guest tonight, uh, I believe, is recognized for this and many more achievements that he has in his life. Uh, let's welcome Steve Sharrock and I'd let Steve introduce himself. Sure, sure. Thanks, thanks, Nipin, and welcome, everyone. My name's Stephen Shorrock. Um, I'm a human factors uh, engineer and a psychologist, um, work psychologist, really. Um, and I've worked for uh, the last kind of, I don't know, 23 or I've lost count years, something like that, in uh, mostly high hazard industries and mostly transportation within that. And uh, much of my career has been spent in air traffic, but otherwise it's been the railways, um, chemical manufacturing, uh, border border control, border security. And um, in the last few years, I've been working uh, kind of a more voluntary basis and a more collaborative basis, mostly out of curiosity in healthcare. Um, so that's a bit of, yeah, that's just a bit of background about me. And currently I work in Eurocontrol, which is an intergovernmental organization um, for air traffic management in, in, in Europe. So in that context, I've worked in around 30 or so countries, something like that. You also edit the, the, the magazine called Hindsight, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, yeah. So that that's um, a passion of mine. Uh, hi, I'm the editor-in-chief of Hindsight magazine, which is a Eurocontrol magazine, um, which now is on basically human and organizational factors in operations in air traffic management, but also includes other industries. So you nip in of... I've, uh, I've, I've written, of course, for, for Hindsight. Um, and so has Anders, who is also present, I can see. Thank you, Anders. Anders does a remarkable job in, in well, checking what I write as well as other people. And he does a sterling job in that. So I much appreciate that. Um, and we have a different theme for each issue of Hindsight. Um, so the last one that's a, that will be published in a few days is on learning from everyday work. The one before was on well-being and, and so on. So you can find that on on Skybrary. If you just Google Skybrary Hindsight, then you'll find that that magazine. Great. And it's, it's, a, it's a very genuine attempt to bring some cutting-edge knowledge into, into practice, I must say. It's a really good work done. Okay, Steve. So we'll get started then. So I, I, I suppose my first question really to you is, and see that where the discussion goes from here, is, the, is that, and I've struggled with this question, honestly, is that what is the purpose of a reporting system? Mm -hmm. um, well, <laughs> I think there are many purposes. So I think the question is really plural. What are the purposes of a reporting system? Because, um, well, there's a difference between purpose and function. You know, the, a purpose is, is quite uh, intentional. So a purpose is what someone wants from something. Um, what, what somebody wants from a system. So, for instance, what I want from a tree and what a bird wants from a tree are two different things, you know, but the tree is the same. Um, similarly with a reporting system, what some, what, what uh, one, a member of staff, let's say a frontline member of staff, 
their purpose for the system uh, may be different, even between frontline staff, it may be quite different at different times. And that may be different to the management, to the safety department and so on. Um, I think there's also a difference between the rhetorical purpose and, and the reality. Um, so we may say that it has a particular purpose, but the reality might be quite different. And so you have to combine those things. And I, I guess the ideal purpose is something to do with learning and uh, an improvement, you know, so ultimately learning and change, which go, which go hand in hand. Um, but there are other purposes for staff. So there are compliance purposes, of course. So that, that's, that's um, and that may even be the function of a, of a reporting system in many ways, is simple compliance. Um, there are other purposes which are perhaps not quite so productive when it comes to safety, such as, um, well, for instance, revenge. I mean, reporting systems in the healthcare industry are, are known to be used for a kind of revenge. And there's an even a term in the UK of being datixed, which is, the datix is the reporting system. So if you've been datixed, it means you've basically been reported. So there are many, I think there are just, you know, there are many purposes. Uh, some of them are more productive and useful when it comes to organizational functioning and others, um, others, others are not. Great. I, I like the, the analogy of data being with, with somebody being, being reported. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, and I, I see what you're saying. They, so how do these, these multiple purposes actually play out in, in the design and implementation of a reporting system? Can you talk us through some examples of that? What, what, what problems does it create when you have different purposes? Mm -hmm. Well, if you look at what a, what a reporting system actually does, how it functions, so let's say the function of a reporting system is what it does, then it generates a lot of data. It generates a huge amount of data. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of the function of it. It doesn't produce learning by itself because people are necessary in order to translate uh, data into information and information into knowledge and knowledge, let's say, into some kind of wisdom. Um, so that's what it, that, that's what it does. Um, and in, in some organizations, there is just so much data that you don't know what to, that you don't know what to do with it. Um, in other organizations, not, not quite so much, depending on the, depending on the um, criteria for what is reportable. Um, now, in air traffic, we have different kinds of events. Um, unlike in some industries, there's a clearly definable mandatory occurrence report. So there's no doubt that that has to be um, reported. And an example would be a runway incursion, where unauthorized entry to the runway, or runway excursion, or uh, loss of minimum separation between aircraft of standard separation of, for instance, um, 1,000 feet and five nautical miles, for instance. Um, so there are, there are a small range of fact of, of events that that simply have to be reported. And then, of course, you have accidents, which pretty much report themselves. Um, and then you have voluntary reports, which, don't, which are not mandatory, that, therefore, and other kinds of reports like overloads. So this would be where a, a, an air traffic controller feels that uh, his or her capacity is either exceeded or really at maximum. 
Um, so there are a number of a number of kinds of um, kinds of events. Now, I mean, some of the problems that can occur are well. Let, let's say you have a loss of separation of just you know, let's say you know. Um, it's meant to be five nautical miles and it's let's say it's i don't know if it's like 4.8 nautical miles um well separation has been lost in that in that case but it's a kind of arbitrary limit because you could have separation of five nautical miles but the the aircraft could be actually on conflicting tracks and basically just avoid a loss of separation um and that could actually be a more dangerous event than when you just about lose separation if it's 4.5 nautical miles, for instance, or you know, or, or something like that. But actually, the situation was fully under control. So the criteria for what is reportable and what is not reportable is 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 objective, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily um, useful. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, to answer the questions, what can be some? I think the problems are not quite so much with the reporting itself. The problems typically occur, I mean, in my experience working with many different air navigation service providers, it's really with what happens next. Um, so one of the biggest problems that we found via research, having done research into this through um, safety culture questionnaires and focus groups, for instance, um, the, 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 one of the biggest problems is through feedback following reporting. That's typically one of the biggest problems. And then the next problem after that is change, visible change following, um, following the whole process. You know, that's, that's another, another problem. There's also a huge burden on investigation. Um, and then there's a huge burden on communication. Some of the kinds of problems that can occur there is let's say you are um, a en route or area controller, so you're a radar controller, you're not working in an, in an airport, and it's a rule in the organization that you have to read um, incident reports, or at least the summaries, and you have to sign that you've read the incident reports and understood them and so on and so on. But then you find that many of the reports that you're getting are about bird strikes, you know, which are just just really of no relevance to you, you know, bird strikes around an airport, and, and this is taking up lots of your time. So, you know, I think reporting systems just create a kind of a burden when they're not managed well. Um, and also another problem, I think, is that they focus on episodes of unsafety at the event level. So we're really at the top of the triangle rather than things that are going on below the surface in terms of perhaps the way that things work on a day to day basis or just things about the conditions of work or the structures in the organization, you know. Um, so we're really looking at kind of um, tokens of, of unsafety rather than qu quite often getting at some of the what reason or Rasmussen rather would have called the types that un underlie them or the underlying conditions, you know. So I think there are a few of the problems. It can just become an inefficient way of uh, understanding a situation or a problem. Yeah, and, and, and utilized in the right way, it, it does provide some very unique insights into what, what, what's happening within the organization. That's another way. Of, but, but Steve, I, if, if you look at the idea, you, you mentioned the idea of feedback. And one of the things we hear from in, in, in much of my own research, and when you talk to the management, is that we simply do not have the time. So on the one hand, you want people to report and report a lot of 
lot of information, but on the other hand, you say that you do not have enough time to, to deal with it. And how does that tension play out in your, in your view? Well, I think the whole system of, of reporting in large organizations just creates a vortex that sucks in lots of data. And so you've got, you've got to have the time. Well, first of all, you have to have the time to report. And that in itself is not straightforward because quite often there is no scheduled time for that. And controllers might have to do it or anybody else for that matter might have to do it on a break or in their own time or after work or something like that. Uh, and then there's all of the time necessary for the, uh, oh, and by the way, the, the, there are certain certain regulatory requirements on reporting um, in terms of time targets, which creates a kind of uh, efficiency thoroughness trade-off in some, in some cases, because you have a certain number of hours by which the, uh, the, there has to be regulatory um, compliance with the notification. So that can create a bit of a, um, a trade-off. But then there's the time to do all of the analysis and uh, of the information and the investigation and so on, and then the time to actually feedback and so on. So, you know, typically this just takes up a huge amount of, say, certainly in my industry, of, of a safety department's time. Um, and it's done on an individual basis as well. So that's, that, that's a, another issue that I think where we could make some improvements. So all of the investigations are done kind of one-to-one. -one. The interviews are done one-to-one. -one. Um, and we don't employ some of the more perhaps innovative methods of learning as teams that are, that's done, for instance, in web operations and engineering, where they have what they used to call blameless postmortems, you know, to get to more rapidly get many insights about not just an incident, but the kind of work that is, that is going on when a particular incident happened. Um, so that deviates a bit from your, your, your question, but I think the time thing, it just all comes down to time at every, every stage of the process. And it, and it takes a huge amount of time, um, a small amount of time for the initial reporter, but then the investigation itself can take, uh, can take, you know, many weeks. And, and, and uh, of course there is time and resources involved, but if, if there is a value to it, then, uh, then an organization is willing to, to invest into it, isn't it? So, so the, the question then becomes that, what does it take to create that value that the organization is convinced to, to put the time and effort into it? Uh, I, I think you would have to go beyond safety to, to really see um, a widespread value. I, I think safety reporting and investigation is a little bit like the auditing of the accounting world. I mean, you're looking backwards at something that's already happened and you know, uh, pe people are not that interested in that. It's just already happened. People are focused on the future. Um, so one thing is probably the, the insights would have to go beyond safety towards system effectiveness more generally, you know, which is, which is what I'm interested in certainly as an as a ergonomist and um, psychologist. Um, so we need to integrate a bit of systems thinking for that. And if there are if there are insights from investigation that concern system functioning as a whole, and you're able to say to to the senior people in the organisation that this investigation has revealed new insights into our operation and organisation beyond safety, then immediately that's quite interesting because then it's not just thought that well it's something for the safety department. So I think that's one thing. But then to do that, you have to look beyond just reporting incidents. And 
even the term safety reporting system is not very helpful because reporting isn't the purpose of the system. That's just the input to the system. And if we, if, we would, if we would aspire for learning to be the purpose of the system, then it should be a learning system and maybe not just a safety one, but that, would be, that, that could be one, uh, one focus. Um, so I think a, a focus more on learning from um, everyday work. And of course, incidents are a big part of that, but I, I think incidents can be treated as an invitation to understand how things work on a day-to-day -day basis so that, Again, the incident itself is, is very often, it's nothing, it's nothing so interesting. It's the kind of thing that can just happen, you know, at any time. I mean, somebody forgets about an aircraft that's low and slow moving through a, a sector, for instance, in my industry. Uh, uh, you know, or, you know, these are just errors that are always, they're always going to happen. But what does that reveal about the nature of everyday work, the patterns? And what does that reveal about the system structure? I think that's the kind of thing that we want to be getting at. And that's a really interesting point, Steve, because if you, one of the, the things that comes to mind uh, when you talk about incidences is the famous case of, of the Wakashio uh, accident, where the ship runs aground. And the, 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 the floating news that you see is that this is a classic case of, of, of a captain looking for a phone signal and using inappropriate charts coming close to the land, which then explains the accident. But as you very rightly said, that if you if you go beyond the outcome of the accident, which is which is which is a ship, a huge ship running aground and the reputational risks and whatnot, it gives you a very unique insight into the everyday tensions between you know trying looking at the well-being of the crew, but also trying to to make sure that uh, you you maintain safe safe uh, distance from the land. And that's that's very interesting if you want to to go beyond the safety and look at those conflicts. The, but the question then really becomes is that once you have an accident or an incident, the, the, nobody's really interested in, in the, the, that side of things. So the question I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm asking is that, is there a way that you can segregate between what is important from a regulatory and compliance and reputational perspective and what can be sensibly used for organizational learning for improvement? Is there a divergence there that you see in reporting systems or, or learning systems in your world? Um, th there is, but I think by there is a, there certainly is a, di a divergence um, in that. I mean, obviously, regulators are typically um, f further distanced from the operation compared to the safety department, and the management is further distanced in some ways compared to the safety department. So we have a kind of you know, going from the sharp end to the, the blunt end, you've got regulators going more toward the blunt end and then behind them, you've got kind of government and the media and the judiciary and so on. But I think we should be constantly working together within the industry, within whatever industry to try, the more that you can work together with a regulator so that we have a common agreed purpose, then we're not having to separate things out into two parts because I think otherwise you have some, um, some, unintended consequences and you have a kind of a split of a, a kind of compliance culture and then some you know something else um so which is really not helpful um so i, I think really regulators they, they do want to learn and if they uh, if a reporting system can give them better insight it uh, also into how um their interventions affect the system then that's a great thing but that takes a lot of courage on everyone's part because who wants to know really 
um, you know, the, the unintended consequences that they can have on a system. So it takes courage, I think, and a bit of humility to really want to understand that. And it takes humility and curiosity to really want to understand what goes on on a day-to-day basis anyway. And you're absolutely right. And that, that is not uh, any longer a safety tool or a safety reporting system. Then that becomes a business uh, operations or, or operational tool rather than a safety tool, which has meaning for across department, across hierarchies, I would believe. Uh, and this is a no. That's 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 great, Steve. I think we have covered a lot. But just a last and a very hypothetical question, and, and this is something that came up in one of the discussions today. That it's very, very uh, uh, specific to one one part of the discussion, which is that what do you do when trust is broken? When uh, and because of some past experience, bad experience in the past, and how do you engage people to report things from that point onwards? That is a question mm. that, that came through this, this morning. Would you mm. like to comment on that before I open up the floor? Well, it, I think it, it, it's the same in any relationship, really. You start off by saying sorry and acknowledging your mistakes. You know, w- when trust is broken in any relationship, it, it, it takes quite a long time to come back, but it will certainly not come back unless the wrongs that have been done are acknowledged. And um, I, I mean... In various industries, and I certainly know of cases and I've seen cases where people have been um, blamed uh, personally, they, they've been shamed publicly for essentially making a mistake, you know, um, <laughs> and people get caught up in paradoxical situations where they can't, cannot do right for doing uh, for, for doing wrong as well. But without going into the details of the examples of that, I think the first step is to acknowledge that when trust has been broken, and that may be through a breach of confidentiality, or it may be more often through an inappropriate punishment, either formally or informally, um, then the first thing, there has to be a genuine apology, and you have to make amends. I mean, this is just a basic thing in in human nature and society that we know, but sometimes just gets forgotten in organisations, I think. So, you know, a sorry, uh, an amend, and a commitment to you know to not not repeat that um and then people will trust you by your actions i think you know following that um but certainly once uh, i mean in my experience the worst case is when people are inappropriately when people are blamed for basically mistakes and errors which is which is just simply not appropriate because it's the organization's role to protect the operation from things that will happen such as errors it's also the organization's responsibility to protect the train driver, pilot, whoever else, from errors, from his or her errors as well. That's, that's the organization's responsibility. Um, and so, um, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot more that we, could, that we could unpack in that. But I think the brief answer is to acknowledge the um, transgression, to apologize for it, to make amends for it, and to just ensure that it really doesn't happen again. Because these kind of things are usually quite emotional when someone is, you know, when someone is blamed and it's a kind of loss of control on a, on a human level, I'd say. And, and that apology goes a long way in, in, in tightly knitted communities, I believe, where people are just watching what's the next reaction from the management when, when somebody screws up. 
I think people just people just respond very well to you know to an apology. We're all human, and I think when someone has done done us you know wrong in any way, and someone offers a genuine apology, uh, unless it's a really something super you know serious, it may take a while. But mostly people respond to that. People are reasonable. Great point, Stephen. There's so much more, but there's so little time, and I don't want to take up any more mm. of it. Uh, but uh, but such good insights into just the reporting side of it, I think is, and maybe in future discussions we talk about analysis and how you translate that into some sort of meaningful learning for the organizations. And I hope you can join us then once again. Thank you, Steve, for for giving us so many wonderful insights. Uh, it's been such a educational 45 minutes spent with you. Thanks, thanks all, and and I'm, I've not been able to answer all of the, you know, or have a conversation with you all, but um, you can certainly e- email me, and maybe you'll include that afterwards, or via my uh, website, humanisticsystems.com, and uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to to chat. Yes, uh, you can find Steve. He's he's very active on Twitter as well, so please, please, by all means, get in touch with him if you have if you are curious about finding out more things. So what did you think? I think there's a lot to think and reflect upon, which is exactly the idea of this podcast. I was actually intrigued by Steve when he said, is reporting really the purpose of a reporting system? I kind of agree with that. He makes such good points. At one point he says, you have been reported. Look at the negative connotation that is attached to the term. What message does it carry? Then also he talks about the multiple and often competing purposes of the reporting system. That you want to, to learn something new, but you also have to comply. And they are not necessarily compatible, although he offers uh, a way forward uh, to bring regulators in line with the learning motivation. Uh, very ambitious, but it's a great point. Steve also makes a very interesting point about allowing people more time and resources to report issues. But more importantly, he doesn't see that as an issue. The issue he, he faces is more the processing of the reports. The true value of a reporting system, Steve believes, is asking the question, what new knowledge have we gained as an organization? by analyzing reports, which goes far beyond just counting unsafe events. And it's the dull, the mundane, the obvious, the routine work and the interactions that brings us closer to the new knowledge, uh, not the, the high potential events at the top of the iceberg. Very interesting. And uh, I leave you with these thoughts. Uh, well, we have just started and there's a lot more to learn and I promise I will bring to you more perspectives on the table. A word of caution though, don't believe in a single one of these. Uh, Don't believe a word of what you hear from me or from anyone else. Uh, Instead, find your own truth. But yes, do keep an open mind. If you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn. You can also email me at nippin.arnan at novellus.solutions. Until next time, take care and have a healthy start of the new year. Everything else will follow.